Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, it's Candice and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yeah, we thought we would have everything figured out by the time we were in our 30s. Yeah, we did. Uh, but surprise, we don't at all. We don't. And that's okay. That's okay. Kayla, you and I have talked a lot in the last few weeks about the fact that we have separately, individually been doing a lot of this work. Have you ever had conversations about race or about racism? I mean, we've talked about how you and I have never talked about white privilege before at all. Right. Right. I mean, you and I have been ten friends for over 10 years, and it really struck me that we've never had a conversation about race. And we've talked about a lot of deep personal things with each other, but that has never come up because we just never thought to discuss it. And that is exactly what we're talking about right now. We want to take accountability as white women for our white privilege and the fact that we could be better, we could be doing better. And we will do better. So without further ado, here is our talk with Alexandra Stafford, member of White People for Black Lives. And we are here with Alexandra Stafford. She is with White People for Black Lives. Alexandra, we're so excited that you're here with us today. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course. Let's just jump right in. Um, what is it that you do for them and how did you find yourself involved with the organization? Well, White People for Black Lives is a, a completely volunteer-based organization. Um, we formed in 2014 in solidarity with Black Lives Matter 
and we work with them in multiracial coalition in Los Angeles to dismantle white supremacy culture by building community, building power within that community, and changing policy on a local level. Um, we're also part of a national network that's called Surge, S-U-R-J. Um, they were named in Newsweek by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as the organization that white people should be doing this work through. Um, and we, uh, White People for Black Lives, are the Los Angeles chapter of their national network. To answer your question, oh my gosh, I mean, it, it was a process for me. I think um, I, <laughs> when Trayvon was murdered and then George Zimmerman was acquitted for that murder, I remember talking to my husband about it and in the hours and hours we talked about it, never once did it even occur to me to say, well, what do we do? Do you know? I grew up in New York City. I saw racism my whole life. And I think as a result, I thought that I understood it. And then when Mike Brown was murdered, I was pregnant for the first time. And um, with Black Lives Matter's work in Ferguson, I started to realize I'm missing something just because I grew up with racism and I've seen it doesn't mean that I understand it. And I started paying attention in a different way. And that led to me re-educating myself for about a year. And I was looking for a group to do this work with. And I knew that I didn't want to find a group that was having coffee and talking about racism. I really wanted to find a group that was addressing it directly. And a friend of mine sent me a link to White People for Black Lives. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to their very next meeting. And three days later was Charlottesville. Mm. So the first meeting that I attended for White People for Black Lives was September of 2017, just a few weeks after that had happened. And then I've been working with them since. Why do you think um, it is so important to obviously have a group of specifically white people coming together to talk about racism, to talk about white privilege? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's important that we do the work in multiracial coalition. It's important that that work is um, led by black organizers, black leaders, black activists. But there's a lot of learning that white people need to do. You know, as I mentioned, growing up in New York City, seeing racism doesn't mean that you get racism. At least it didn't for me. I did not understand all of the ways, the systems and institutions, the structural ways that racism permeates everything in our culture and in our country. So it's important that white people do that learning on their own because our learning is separate. We don't have the lived experiences. There are a lot of big feelings that come up for people um, when they join this work. And having a safe place to fail forward is important. Having a place to struggle with, you know, what is the difference between being white and whiteness? What's harmful about whiteness? All of these questions that, at least for me, when I first joined White People for Black Lives, I had no language around this, you know? Someone... <laughs> At the beginning of all of our meetings, we have what's called the down speech, which is basically saying, you don't have to be down to join this work. You can show up and know nothing. And that's what I did. And in that down speech is the joke about, you don't have to write an essay on cis-heteropatriarchy. When that happened at my first meeting, I was like, I've never heard that term before in my life. You know, it's important that white people can come into this work wherever they are and be embraced. And then it's also important that 
as they are moved through into action and organizing, if they choose to go that way. You know, some people come for the learning and it leads to action. Some people jump right into action. Everyone can find their own path. But it's important that as we're finding that path, we're doing it in a way that doesn't um, require emotional labor from um, Black people in the work. That's not that's not their obligation to us. It's our obligation to the work at large to do it on our own. It's so true. We've been having that discussion about, you know, um, us being responsible for the work ourselves and doing it ourselves and not relying on our friends in the Black community to do it for us. And I find, I've read a lot of articles and had a lot of conversations with people, um, how that has been happening and happened a lot in the past. And it's really good that we're having these conversations so that we can learn from it and and take the responsibility within ourselves. So what is the first step to doing that, to taking the responsibility? It's acknowledgement, correct? I don't think there's any one step. The work is complicated. The system is complicated. There isn't one racist system. And if we, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and Star Wars and and A New Hope and the original, they just need to destroy the Death Star, right? There's so many other movies because there are other things that have to happen beyond that. But there is no Death Star in racial justice work. It's very complicated. So everyone will find their own way into it. Mm. But one of the reasons that it's important, however we approach the work, is we can't change something that we don't understand. And Robin D'Angelo is a sociologist and an anti-racist. She literally wrote the book on white fragility. I can see you're <laughs> like, yes, we know her. Um, her work has been so incredibly helpful to me. And one of the things that she says is the default of our society is the reproduction of racism. It's built into every system and every institution. And if we just carry on in our lives in the most comfortable ways, we will necessarily reproduce it. There's no neutral space. Inaction is a form of action. So I think the answer is there's no right way in, but jump in. For me, it was a year of learning and then finding a group to do the work with. But that was years ago. Do you know, we've been having this national dialogue for five years. So in conversations that I've been having with my girlfriends who are um, new to their awareness, or at least it's, it's increasing rapidly, I'm saying, you're a little late to this. Like if, if, it was, if it was a dinner party and from five to eight was the discussion, which we've been having for the last five years, and you walk in at 8.30 and everyone's already having dinner, Don't walk in and start talking about your emotions and your process. Jump into the work. The time now in this moment is for the work. And so if you are new to it, your learning and all of that needs to happen in a space that's meant for that. And it needs to be separate from the actions that are being taken because just because a lot of this information or the agendas are new to us does not mean they're new and they need our support immediately and right away. That is incredibly well said. Um, yeah, the fact that I, I, Kayla and I have talked about this at length is, you know, why has it taken so long for us to, I didn't even, I had never heard of the term anti-racist before these last few weeks. And I, I, and I don't like that. <laughs> I can't change it, um, but I can change it moving forward and do my best to educate myself. Um, 
and it is so wonderful to see this surge in um, specifically, you know, at least for me, just talking with friends about race and racism and well, first and foremost, white privilege, because that is definitely a conversation that had never come up before. Um, are there things that you are seeing um, not just amongst your friends and not just amongst, you know, white people for black lives, but just, you know, in the world or on social media that you've been really encouraged by. And on the flip side of that, are there also really big learning moments and teaching moments that you're seeing as well um, is in ways that we as the white community can be better allies to the black community? Yeah, I think, um, well, there are two things. The most important thing to my mind is humility. Humility, humility, humility. If someone pushes back on something that you've done and that creates a trigger response and you're new to the work, you don't know white fragility. Again, Robin D'Angelo's work is a great starting place for that. But if you don't understand um, our reflexive responses to being called out on ignorance surrounding race, then we're liabilities. So if you're not exactly sure how to respond to a moment where you do get some pushback, either from someone who is a person of color or a white anti-racist in the work, I encourage everyone to have their response be, I'm going to reflect on that, thank you, <laughs> you know, or something of that kind. What I'm seeing a lot of is there's a real struggle between our intention and our behavior, you know, five years ago. I would have said I was a non-racist and I wouldn't have understood why that was problematic at all. And so the second part of it is to unpack what anti-racist means. Mm -hmm. There are three categories as I understand them. One is racist, which is almost no one I've ever known in my entire life is actually openly racist. Um, two would be non-racist, which is almost everyone I do know in my life. And the category, as I mentioned, I identified with a few years ago. And then anti-racist, which is people who actively work towards liberation and equality. And the thing about non-racist, the category that most of us fit into in this until this moment, is that it's passive. And so what does inaction change? It changes nothing, right? And Melina Abdullah um, from Black Lives Matter has spoken beautifully about this. And I'll just say to everyone, Follow Melina Abdullah on every social media platform. Take every opportunity you can to see her speak or to be in space with her. She's incredible. And she illustrates this point by um, using the analogy of conveyor belts, like at an airport. So racism in America is like a conveyor belt. A non-racist is someone who stays in place and is just carried forward by the conveyor belt. An anti-racist is someone who runs as fast and as hard as they can in the opposite direction. And that is the only way to affect change is active opposition to racism and active support of movement agendas. That's such a great visual to, to have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Melina. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So we are having these uncomfortable conversations with people we've never had them with before. Um, and some of them, sometimes family members and close friends who we thought we had a lot in common with, if we're with someone and they hear, we hear them say something, um, what is a good way to address it? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, can you give me an example? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I'm having these tough conversations with family members that I thought mm -hmm. maybe were a little more open to this uh, 
idea of actually actively going out there and fighting for it and being more active in their beliefs and they're without, you know, sharing personal family information that it doesn't seem that they are that way. So I'm wondering how yeah. to have a productive conversation to try to continue our relationship in a positive way and in a way that will um, affect change within them to the best of yeah. my ability, if that's a possibility. It's a great question. It's something that, um, you know, anyone that I'm close with will tell you that I was not doing a very good job of that over the last two years. Um, I see that there are different stages that everyone goes through in their process. But for me, there was, um, you know, awakening. And then there was the zealot phase, like, everybody has to do this. I call it my neck tattoo phase, where just there's a lot of intensity around it. And also, in my case, at least some aggression why aren't you waking up? There is this national dialogue. I understand why we weren't having these discussions in, you know, 2013 or before, but now we're having them on a large national dialogue uh, or large national scale. Why didn't we join this conversation sooner, you know? And then recently over the last three months after doing a year on, um, a ballot measure that was called Measure R, which was co-authored by Patrice Cullors, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter and surrounds jail reform here in LA. Um, something about the consistency of that work, the teamwork and the experience helped me calm down about it all. And I've seen that over the last three months, which is incredible timing given what's happening now. Um, but over the last three months, I can feel a calm about it. And my starting place is... I'm learning a lot of things and can I have this discussion with you and to lead with how you are feeling, you know, mm -hmm. so many of us are feeling the same things. We're feeling late to this. How did we not know white guilt is real? Do you know, a lot of us, when we first come into this awareness, center ourselves in the experience. That's one of the things I'm seeing online on social media from friends too, is big feelings from white people who are waking up. And there needs to be a space for those big feelings, but right now it's not on social media. Um, and one of the pieces of advice I've been giving people is, if you are wondering whether or not something is appropriate to post on social media, ask yourself if you would say it out loud at your first Black Lives Matter meeting. You know, you wouldn't walk in to your first BLM meeting and talk about your feelings right? This is not the time, at least in public multiracial spaces, to process our big feelings. But the most success that I've had when talking about it with friends or family members is to say, um, I feel whatever is, is true for you. For me, it's, I feel angry that I didn't understand this about our country. I feel guilty and sad that I was complicit for the vast majority of my life without knowing it. I have all these complicated feelings that I'm working through and I want to change where I'm at now so that we can improve um, conditions for all of us and have true liberation and equality, but leading with your emotions and your feelings and then asking them to have the conversation from that place will always be more successful. Have you, um, do you know what deep canvassing is? I don't. 
So deep canvassing is what uh, white people for black lives did as our portion of the work to help measure our pass, which it did. It got over 70% of the vote. But deep canvassing was created um, by the LGBTQ community after 30 straight losses on marriage equality over a decade ago, including Prop 8 here in California. And it's a conversation model that's about 15 to 20 minutes. They've now used it with, uh, after it was successful, of course, with marriage equality and getting that passed federally. Then it was used for transgender rights, Planned Parenthood created a model, and then White People for Black Lives created a model on race and mass incarceration last year. And the whole conversation model, which has been shown by research to be the only effective way to change people's hearts and minds for the long haul, they've researched it out nine months from the original Deep Canvas conversation going back to those voters and seeing that their newfound values were still intact. Um, and the success of it is that the whole conversation model is just questions. Mm. How does, what is your opinion on this? How does that make you feel? What was your experience with it in childhood or what's your relationship to it? And continuing to have these conversations where we're just asking questions of the person that we're talking to has helped me because I think a lot of the block, whether it's with my family or my friends um, or random people that you talk to who are new to the work, is that they're not sure how to process all the new information. You know, we have a lot of unconscious bias that is given to us in our culture. And any conversation where you answer um, their response with a question and you do that to every answer that they give you will really bring so much information to the table and be a great starting place. That's great. Speaking of listening, I know that um, uh, White People for Black Lives has a monthly Saturday dialogue here in Los Angeles. And could you share with our listeners a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. So White People for Black Lives originally started in the aughts as AWARE LA. And AWARE stands for the Alliance of White Anti-Racists Everywhere. So AWARE LA is the arm that is more about education and emotional processing. And then White People for Black Lives is more our action and organizing arm. And so Saturday Dialogues, they'll normally be a topic that is um, the centerpiece. The one that's coming up actually soon is Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, which is a great one to have at this time. Um, and then an organizer will lead with an intro or starting place, either about their relationship to it or give a little bit foundational information. And then the group will just sit and talk about what they're bringing into the room in that moment. How are you feeling about your own fragility? How are you feeling about your experiences with others? The Saturday dialogues are really a place for people to show up wherever they are and then help each other process it. And I know you have these in L.A., so we're able to benefit. Are these a part of and do you have them elsewhere as well? For white people for Black Lives and Aware LA, right now it's just in LA, but they're, you know, because we are a part of Surge's national network, um, anyone wanting to find their local chapter should just go, if you Google Surge local chapter, the link will come right up as the number one thing. And every, there are 150 across the nation. We'll have the link in our show notes too. So for those listening that want to um, 
explore that, please do. What it what usually comes up at these gatherings? What do you feel? Um, something that we're hearing a lot of right now, something that we've both asked or said to each other even during this time, self-admittedly, is you know, we've touched on it a little bit in this discussion, but I'm going to say, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, you know, well, or having to deal with exactly, you know, friends or family that are maybe saying something that makes us uncomfortable and not knowing how to broach the subject with them, um, how to process, you know, the reality of feeling so far behind and it's like all of a sudden the lights are turned on and we're like, how have we not seen this? Or I'll speak for myself. How have I not been, you know, how have I not done this research before? How have I not been paying attention? That's the question. How have I not at 33 years old been paying attention? You know, it, how do you, what usually comes up in these conversations? Is it a lot of that? Um, well, I haven't been to one since this new revolution moment. I'm sure that the next Saturday dialogues will be different up until now. Um, you know, a lot of feelings of I'm alone in this for, in my experience over the last couple of years in my group of friends, um, it, it can be very isolating to wake up to something earlier than your friend group. I've lost some friendships around it. It's one of the things that's been so important to have community for that. I think in the Saturday dialogues leading up to this space, because they were smaller, you know, we had normally we'll have six to 20 people in them. We had 120 for the most recent, Mm. our white people for black lives orientations. Um, You know, we were so excited in April or in May when I think there were 40 people. We're like, ah, 40 people. And um, over a thousand people registered for the last one. Our last two orientations, which are now happening weekly instead of monthly, have had 800 people in them. And that's the max that the organizers are able to admit and still have breakout rooms and smaller group discussions. So for the Saturday dialogues, I'm sure it will shift um, just because it depends on who's in the room and what you have to say. That those spaces are guided, absolutely, but it's really a processing space for you to bring into it whatever you want. And you had made a mention um, about, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I know that feeling and I'll say, um, you're going to, I do. I still say it all the time. And the people who are mentoring me in this work still have pitfalls and blind spots. When you think about for our entire lives, We've been doing something one way. You know, we've been walking a certain direction and now we need to walk backwards. And in order to understand all the ways that you've been conditioned um, in support of white supremacy culture takes time. And even in multiracial coalition, the wrong things come out sometimes and there's space for that and it's okay. But it underlines the need for white people to do our initial processing and our initial learning in our own spaces. And I will say also white presenting people, there are Asian and Latinx people and white people for black lives. Um, All are welcome. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now, I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae, and they are both so <laughs> delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. 
It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. Talking about the work, you've um, you've mentioned that you've been incredibly busy, obviously, over the past few weeks. There's been protests here in Los Angeles. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your experience of these protests? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in, for those who aren't able to protest, how they can continue to support the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening right now in our country We'll start there because yeah. I actually do, I'm like, and, and then after that, like, the, you know, <laughs> knowing that this is a marathon, this is not just a, a, this is not just a first step or a sprint. This is a marathon. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, so much of the work, you know, the, there's a blessing in the timing of two things. There is a blessing that the Me Too movement is happening at the same time as the movement for Black Lives. A lot of times when I'm trying to explain to girlfriends some awareness that I have about showing up as a white ally, it's easier to put that into um, women's liberation terminology, you know. Um, and another thing is, there. It, it, while COVID is, of course, in, in no way, shape, or form a blessing, the timing of it is in the sense that everything had to be moved online to Zoom starting in March. So by the time that all of this happened, we already had shifted everything to um, being able to still do the work online and remotely. So if you are someone who cannot go to the protests in person, just know orientation, meetings, your local civics meetings, all of these things are online and they're important. Here in LA right now, two of the agendas that are time sensitive and necessary to support for those who are interested is the people's budget. You know, we spend, there's a big dialogue now about defunding the police. Um, What's happening in Minneapolis is, of course, fantastic, and I can't wait to see how that unfolds. They are specifically talking about dismantling the police. But one of the things that was so shocking to me in the work is, it's not just why don't we understand race in our country better. I realized, why don't I understand my own county budget why don't I understand how my school board operates? Why have I never been to a police commission meeting and understand how those, um, how our leaders engage with the public? Here in Los Angeles, 600 people more than have been murdered by law enforcement under the current DA's tenure and term. And there has been only one investigation and that didn't happen until she was up for re-election on Super Tuesday. So it was really a PR move. Black Lives Matter has protested outside of her office every Wednesday for two years, and she's never met with community leaders, you know. But going back to the original point, if you look at our county budget, the way that we view it or that it's spoken above in the work is, the county budget is a reflection of our values, right? So if you just wrote out, what are the top 10 things that you think make your communities or our neighborhoods strong, safe, healthy? And then print out your local county budget and see what are the top 10 things your county invests in. When you see how much money is spent on law enforcement, which includes incarceration, it will blow your mind. Why in Los Angeles County are we spending hundreds of millions of dollars on drones and technology for drones 
when we have a housing crisis and our schools are underfunded. So a big part of it is right now, if you're looking for a starting place, just show up at your local civics meetings. Police commission in LA, you know, the first meeting I went to was wall to wall because it was for that drone program. But in general, there are about 20 to 80 people there. Well, last week, um, 20,000 people watched it live. You know, they maxed out their Zoom immediately, had to move it to YouTube. And you can hear the public comments, especially from the organizers. The activists that have been saying what you will hear them say when you tune in have been saying it for years into an abyss. And now they're saying it to 20,000 people live and 1.5 million people watched it afterwards. Do you know? If you don't know where to start, just start by showing up because the most important thing is that we understand what's happening. And the great news is that there is strategy, structure, and leadership. And the only thing this movement needs is resources and support. Just tingles all over after hearing you talk about that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. I love it yeah. so much. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're talking about being activists and we're getting inspired to do this. Um, some people for the first time, some people not. And we've seen what that looks like on social media. You know, everyone's posting that they're at the um, protests and what they're doing and all of that. What I want to know is to you, what does it mean to be an activist? Mm -hmm. um, ooh, I don't know. That answer might make me cry. Oh. I'm getting teary-eyed over here. Too. I know. We're here with you. We're right here with you. I, um, you know, I had mentioned that when George Zimmerman was acquitted for Trayvon Martin's murder, that my husband and I talked about it and we cried about it and it didn't occur to me to say, what do we do? And part of that is that I was in California and that was Florida, you know? Um, and part of it is just, it didn't occur to me to say, what do we do? And as I have watched after Ferguson and Jordan Edwards, Charlena Lyles, Orlando Castile, Terrence Crutcher, on and on and on. Seeing the trauma had a very strong impact. And in our current culture, I think a lot of us are isolated. We're very busy. We're online a lot. We're not working in community. And so to my mind, what being an activist means is that you are working in community. You are working with, <laughs> I can't say enough that I showed up to it because I believed it was what was right. And then I stayed in it because I learned that if they can do this to any of us, they can do it to all of us. And the reason that it's become such a staple in my life now is because I've truly never been a part of something with such humanity. The way that people who come to the work who barely know each other or are new to it, the community and the, um, the culture surrounding it is so powerful to be united across um, ability, class, race, gender identity, is a very powerful thing. And even though I've always lived in cities that are so diverse, um, I have never been a part of a community like, like this. And being an activist is saying, 
I'm going to show up in my community because all of these things are related. It's not about good cops or bad cops. It's not even about individual police departments. It's a system. It's what do we invest in, in our budgets. It's um, who, what, which cases do our DAs prosecute? Um, it's how does that intertwine with our schools, our housing crisis? How do we handle mental illness and drug addiction? All of these things are interwoven. So to my mind, the reason that I start with racial justice is because that is the original oppression in our country that everything else rests on. And if we want gender equity, if we want um, income equality, all of the things that make our communities more in alignment with what America's ideals are than what it actually is in this moment, activism is the way to participate in that. You mentioned that you're also a mother and um, I don't know how old your children are, um, but they're five and one. Oh, they're little. Um, but what about the work that you do and the activism that you participate in and that you do, um, how has that made you a better mother? Like what, what has that, how do you, are you excited to share in that dialogue with your kids as they grow older as well? Cause that's been such a it's big a conversation question, yeah. too. And, you know, CNN did that wonderful special and, you know, in with Sesame Street, and it, my husband and I were like, "Wow!" Can this- I ask though, what was it wonderful? I appreciated the fact that it opened up. Um, my husband and I were uncomfortable just having the first step in a lot of conversations, and so for us, mm-hmm. it opened up our eyes how far behind we were in those conversations. So for us. Yeah. That in that regards, um, how far you were from those conversations with your kids? Yeah, and just with each other. I think we realized as adults um, and as parents how far away we were with having conversations with, uh, you know, our teenagers or our toddler, and um, mm-hmm. and so that in that regards, it was helpful for us. You know, the, the author of the book, Raising White Kids, and I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name, but they were one of the people on that CNN um, special. And I think they spoke beautifully to it. My, <clears throat> my pushback on that is corporate CNN with advertisers is not the right source for this very complicated dialogue. You know, a lot of that broadcast reinforces the ways that we currently talk about racism, about being kind to people, about fairness, about this and that. And one of the things that I said to a girlfriend when specifically talking about how do we have these conversations with our kids, et cetera, one of the things that I said to her is, if everyone in America um, loved each other, was for equality, um, came at it with that approach, what would change? And the answer to me is not a damn thing because this is not about how we feel about each other. I was raised um, with an eye towards equality. Everyone, you know, in New York City, the people that were in my home, there was great diversity. And still I didn't understand racism. 
So the thing that, to my mind, that the CNN special misses is a discussion about the structural and pervasive ways that, that racism shows up in our communities. It feels to me like a lot of the conversations that white people have surrounding race center back to comfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And the CNN special to me felt like you can watch it and then at the end feel like you watched it and it's comfortable, but we're really not getting to the complicated parts that we need to address. And so if there are parts of it that speak to you and your family, of course, always lean into the parts that speak to you or that feel like the good next step. Absolutely. But one of the things that I've been saying to other mothers is, especially with small kids, if you can't teach your children something you don't understand. So I think what I saw a lot of the response over the last two weeks has been is I'm going to buy every single children's book I can find on racism and equality, right? And okay, that's a starting point. But the real thing is you have to understand it first in order to talk to your children about it. And so to your original question about my children in the work, um, you know, when we bought our house, um, we sent our child to the local preschool and he, at the beginning, was the only white person in the school. And we were the only white family. And now, you know, our neighborhood is gentrifying years later. So now there are a couple more um, white kids in that school. But being in the minority there, not just for my son, but also for my husband and I, has been such a valuable experience. And there is a big conversation around, if you take a picture of your kid holding a Black Lives Matter sign, but you don't send them to the predominantly black school in your neighborhood, you're not teaching them that black lives matter. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go from, I just woke up to I'm changing my whole life. Do you know that we can allow this to be a process, right? And I think it's important that we think about it for the long term, how we do make these changes. So the things that I'm saying to my friends are, um, if you are in a charter school or predominantly white school, when's the next time your kid would naturally have to change schools? Can you make a different decision then? If you have a great community at your current school, can you have a conversation with the other parents and say, what would it mean for all of us to move into a school with more diversity? You know, with a global majority curriculum is one of the terms. But in bringing my kids to the work, you know, they come to white people for Black Lives Matter, uh, I'm sorry, white people for Black Lives Meetings, and our five-year anniversary was in December. They were coloring postcards, and a little girl who is at the meetings a lot was using crayons to teach my son about scarcity models, and there's, there's no book for that, do you know? There's no book for what my son is learning by being raised um, in an environment where he's the minority that's going to shape his worldview forever. And so if we buy the books, if we do the learning, if we do all the academic stuff, but we don't actually change our behavior or our choices on a day-to-day -day basis for real integration and real um, community engagement, then we're not making progress and we're teaching our kids I think hypocrisy in a certain sense it's a tough word to use and I don't know if that's the right one but if we tell them something and do something else it's a 
it's a mixed message. I appreciate um, your response and you're right because immediately I went, oh my gosh, now I'm uncomfortable. I've mm-hmm. said too much. I should have ended the question way sooner. <laughs> I was on a roll and then I just like mm-hmm. ruined it. But that's the whole point of this dialogue in this space and yes. having these conversations and and that I love that perspective that yes, I need like to continue. I need to educate myself. You can't teach your children something that you don't understand yourself. Absolutely. And also I really, (laughs) once I went to my first birthday party for my son's preschool and I was the only white mom there with the only white son, I was, I, I just couldn't stop thinking for my friends of color, specifically some of my black friends that I'm close with all of the rooms where they've been the only black person. And that I've always thought, okay, like I was aware of it, but it didn't seem like a big deal. And then having that experience myself um, completely shifted my awareness around it. And I think it's so important and valuable, the, the humility that comes in along with that will just change how you walk into every different space. And, you know, I, um, I had written uh, an, a blog post for a friend's website called White Mom and the Minority. And one of the things towards the end that I talk about is, when you're young, one of the things that's so exciting about being young is that everything is new, you know, and there's so much excitement about investigating it and being changed by it and all of that. And that's present here in the work as well. There's so much joy in learning new things. The humanity and the joy that comes along with the work has been one of the most impactful things about it. And having that shift in humility which you just honestly modeled perfectly. Mm-hmm. You're already on such a good track with it. But having that experience with humility has reduced my panic, my fear, my aggression across um, all, all different categories in my life. And that has made me a much better mom because, um, you know, if you look up the different characteristics of white supremacy culture, perfectionism is one of them, mm. you know? And just to be able to say, I don't know, or I said that wrong, or I didn't know enough. I want my sons to feel comfortable doing that, but I wasn't modeling it that way before this work, and I don't know that I would have learned to outside of it, because we don't have to. White culture is normative. We're all going to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and that's a really good thing, and that's what we're um, excited to continue I don't know if excited is the right word, but you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say, can I say one other thing I wanted to share? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in our, in the, in the campaign for measure R that we spent the last year doing our campaign manager, Ash was talking about how, as we work towards reform or dismantling white supremacy culture, it's important that we know um, or that we hold a vision for what replaces it. And in one of our training videos for the deep canvassing, Ash is talking to this voter who's talking about how um, they used to spank or hit their kids as punishment because that's what their parents did and, and that their kid's life had turned out pretty tough as a result. And so with their grandchildren, they weren't doing any of that. And um, in the video, Ash kind of pauses at the end and says, 
you were willing to imagine something different. And in this moment, as we learn what needs to change, what needs to be reformed, what needs to be dismantled, I think we need to hold a vision of something different. What do we want our culture and community to look like? What does healing from harm look like? You know, if we talk about our, incarcer our carceral systems, the vision of what replaces it is beautiful. That's another thing, especially if people have overwhelming experiences where they feel lost in it. Look for what the vision is of what comes next, because we are the generation that gets to say what that's going to be. That's one of the exciting parts is we're in a moment where there are leaders that have been visioning this for decades, right? And now they're being put in the forefront of things and we have the opportunity to amplify them and to support them and to be carried along by their great vision if we support the work. Well said, Alexandra. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. And for all of our listeners who do want to get involved and learn more, where can they find, I know that um, White People for Black Lives, if you go to awareLA.org, I think they, mm -hmm. they can find that website and you guys are also on social media yeah. as well. Yeah. And Surge is S-U-R-J showing up for racial justice. The other thing that Surge does that's so wonderful are webinars. Um, there's lots of teaching that happens through Surge that's great to join. And they will also plug you into their, your local chapter. This has been such a wonderful uh, conversation. And we're so grateful that you came on to share with us and um, humble us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. These are the conversations Kayla and I have been having with each other and other white friends. How can we be better white people, anti-racist, and allies to the black community? We wanted our episodes to be about the accountability. We felt it was our responsibility as white women to take accountability of our white privilege, recognize our shortcomings, and share in what we've been doing to educate ourselves. It is not the responsibility of the Black community to teach us about racism. It's ours. We knew we needed to do the work first, so we can instead hold the microphone for our guest to share their story, their experiences, instead of making any racism they've experienced about educating us. Right. And this is just the beginning. We're so excited to continue recording this podcast while continuing to educate ourselves. On our social media, we were asked what we would be doing differently moving forward. And we realized after reviewing our episodes that the amount of white guests we have had on heavily outnumbers the amount of black guests, persons of color guests, minority guests, and we want to do things differently to make sure our guests and this podcast is a reflection of the beautifully diverse world that we live in. We are excited to continue the conversation of white privilege, anti-racism, and activism. And we want to celebrate our guests for who they are, their talents, their books, their advice, their experience. All the reasons we start with when we formulate our ideas for our podcast episodes. We will be taking a month off from releasing brand new episodes of Directionally Challenged. I actually had a trip planned with my family. This has been planned for a few months now. And so we're going to pack up the kids, get the dog, we're jumping in an RV, and we're going on a road trip. Yep, I said the kids and the dog in an RV. <laughs> and we're going to be gone for a little over a month. 
We are so excited for you to go on your trip, Candice. You are going to come back with so many good stories, and we know that you will share them with us on this. Um, you guys, it's important to us that you know, even though we are taking a month-long break, we will not stop discussing white privilege, racism, and especially amplifying the voices of the black community. We are excited for the direction that we are going, and we are excited for you to come along with us. So we'll be back in a month. Hey guys, it's Kayla. While researching these past three episodes, Candace and I found a local charity that we love and really want to support. They're called LA Can, and they actively work to eliminate the multiple forms of violence used within our communities to maintain the status quo. This means their goal is to eradicate the race, class, and gender barriers that are used to prevent communities from building their own power. We've decided to donate our proceeds from these episodes to this great organization. If you want to find out more, go to our at Candice Kayla Instagram. There you'll find a link with all their information. Thanks for listening and supporting. We love you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.